from the Gospel of John. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning. I hope you're all having a Merry Christmas season. Uh, we ended up hosting Christmas at our house this year for the first time, and I learned uh, something about being a host that I never knew before. Uh, one, 20 people is a lot of people in my house. Uh, and two, I learned that if you're the host, that when the chaos of your house reaches a certain point, you know where all the hidey holes are, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. If you're Lord of the Manor, you can go on a prolonged pantry search to find that missing thing. You know, maybe you end up in the garage and there's a loose shelf that you have to address immediately, uh, or the laundry needs to be switched out. You know, just a few minutes to kind of gather yourself and your wits and your courage and enter back into the chaos of four kids a-screaming, three glasses spilling, two in-laws yelling, and a dog eating off of our plates. Don't worry, I didn't write the whole song out, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. It can be a bit chaotic. I mean, I'm mostly kidding. My in-laws are great, but the rest of it's absolutely true, and you've been there. You've been in that sort of environment. You have stood in front of a door, either at your own house or, or somewhere else, and you've known that there's chaos and lawlessness on the other side of that door, and you take a deep breath before you walk in. Maybe for you it was Thanksgiving. We all have those places. Maybe it's a huge social event where you know you have to be busy flitting around and speaking to people. Maybe it's a high school gymnasium, right, during a pep rally, and you can just feel the building shake before you open the door. Though we've all experienced that sense of trepidation, that sense of um, calm before the storm that we get standing on the threshold. And in most of those situations, you probably went anyway, right? I was only a coward for so long on Christmas, right? And then I ended up going in. Um, so that's one way to think about it, and that's one way to think about this idea of the incarnation of God entering into our world. And we can get a little bit more serious and also a little bit more metaphorical as we look at the doors that we're confronted in and the thresholds that we stand on that we can either choose to enter into or not enter into. How about, uh, have you ever stood in front of doors that guarded hurtful secrets and chosen to open them? Have you ever stood in front of doors that guarded poorly disguised family secrets? The elephant in the room that nobody wanted to address, the door that nobody wanted to open. Have you ever stood at the door of your own heart and you've been worried about getting a glimpse of who you actually are, the depths and fullness of your depravity and of mine? That's a heavy door too. These are all heavy doors that, uh, as long as they're closed, right, we might be able to, to feel some of the impact, but as soon as we open them, we open them to chaos and lawlessness. And maybe in some of those doors, you had the courage to enter into it anyway. But it cost you something, didn't it? Those doors always do. Uh, this morning, we're in the Gospel of John, and we're looking at the incarnation. We're looking at the incarnation of God, the creator of the universe, coming into our world of chaos and lawlessness, taking on human flesh and becoming vulnerable. You know, Somebody put it this way, and I thought it was, 
you know, it was fairly clever. Heaven before Christ came down could be like a green room, right? You know what, you know what concerts or other speaking venues, the, the people who are the featured speaker have a green room, and it's a place of, not only is it a place of quiet and peace, but it's also a place where they give you whatever, you know, whatever you want to. You write a writer, right? And you're like, I want the temperature at 72 degrees, and I want six bottles of water, and I want green M&Ms, right? I mean, you know, like you can, you can place the green room. You can set it up however you… Now, I've never been invited to one, but I've heard they're pretty great. And it would be really interesting for one of those featured people, right, to instead say, no, I'm going to leave this, and I want to go out, down into the mob, right, down into the, the mob of the crowd and participate in that. But that's what we're talking about when we talk about the Incarnation. That's what we're talking about when we talk about Christ leaving heaven to come to earth. And so, there are two questions, and these are kind of, these are function as our points for today, two questions that I want to bring up uh, and discuss today. These are the two questions that we have before us. Why did He come down to us? Have you ever thought about that? Why leave the green room? Why enter the door at all? And here's the second question, what did it cost Him? To do so. What did it cost him? Uh, there's, a, there's a parenting phase that I'd always heard about and just recently experienced uh, with young ones, and it's, I want to say insufferable, but I realize my son might hear that someday. Gabriel, I love you. Um, it's a really difficult phase. It's the why phase. Anybody ever go through the why phase with your kids? Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe your grandkids? Why? You know, everything is why. Why is this the way? Why, why, why? Uh, why are you making a bath? Because the dog is dirty. Why is the dog dirty? Because he went outside. Why did the dog go outside? Because he had to go to the bathroom. Why did the dog have to go to the bathroom? I don't know. Ask him. You know, I mean, you could go on and on. The why phase, the why phase is um, it's a difficult phase. But, but as much of a pain as that de developmental stage is, it's also incredibly important for kids to go through, Right? And here's why. They aren't doing it to drive you crazy. The reason that they have this developmental stage is so that they can figure out the way that the world works. When you answer their questions, you're giving them building blocks to figure out how the world works. And once you begin to figure out how the world works, you can figure out where your place is in it and how you ought to live, right? I made a big mistake when I taught my son that in traffic lights, green means go and red means stop. Because now every time I make a right turn at a red light, he flips out on me and says, Dad, you can't do that. It's red. You can't go. But what he's trying to do is figure out how the world works and how we ought to live in it. Does that make sense? The why questions are incredibly important and incredibly helpful because they teach us, again, how the world works and how we ought to live in it. And as adults, we're not nearly as thorough in our questions anymore, are we? We kind of let things go a lot easier. We're not nearly as curious, and it's to our detriment. We stop caring much quicker than we did when we were kids. You know, what's fascinating, you probably know this, that our church attendance nearly doubles on Christmas Eve. Does that surprise any of you? And it nearly triples on Easter. Does that surprise any of you? And you can imagine that if you're now, and if, by the way, if you, if you came to Christmas Eve and you accepted Father Rodriguez's invitation to come again today, uh, I, really, I really commend you for doing so because there is a lot to uncover here. You know, when, every, when people come only twice a year, one, you miss the full story, and a lot of the reason for that is because you stop asking the why questions. 
you know, kids know to ask these questions. Why do we go to church? Well, if you answer because it's tradition or because grandma and grandpa want us to, those are pretty surface and shallow answers, aren't they? Right? Isn't that just, that's a surface level explanation. But what if you kept digging? What if you kept scratching? What if you kept looking into that question? What if you asked why again? Why is it a tradition? Why do they want us to go? Well, things start to get interesting there, don't they? See, that's the thing about the gospel. The why questions help us formulate it and understand it and dig into it. I mean, even in our text today, our text today is incredibly profound, and it answers questions that allow us to to begin to make sense of the world and understand how we ought to live in it. Here's what I mean by that. Our text talks about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God and was God. All things were made through Him. These are profound answers to fundamental questions of life. How was the universe created? How did something come from nothing? Right? If you're a materialist, you have a really hard time just explaining this. If you don't have God, how do you create something out of nothing? Well, we have it in our text. In the beginning, God made all things. So you ask another, another why question, and this brings you further along the path. If God made it, why is there suffering? Well, darkness entered the world through us, and it continues to. Okay, well then how do we fix it? Right, that's a good question to ask. How do we fix it? We can't. We can't. Now see, these are questions that a three-year-old can ask, but they're incredibly profound and they lead to some profound answers. The idea that we can't fix the world is not a very empowering message, is it? But it's the reality. I mean, we can, we can do a lot of wonderful things. We can increase life expectancy, which we have. We can lower infant mortality rates, which we have. But we can't cheat death. We can make great strides in eliminating global poverty, and we have, by the way. We haven't eliminated it, but we've made great strides in the last couple decades. But we can't eliminate the poverty of our souls, our sin. We can spend centuries working to achieve global peace, but we don't have the ability or the power or the wherewithal to make peace with God. You cannot do that on your own. You can't. Oh, we'll try. Like Tantalus, you know, always grasping for that fruit or trying to get a sip of water, or like Sisyphus, always rolling that stone up the hill, we'll try, but we can't do it. We'll never reach the top. But God, this is where we get to the why of the incarnation, but God, who is rich in mercy and loves us dearly, was not content to stay on the other side of the door, but became incarnate, and He entered our chaotic world to suffer and die because God alone can give us eternal life. God alone can remove the stain of our sin, and God alone can make peace with Himself on our behalf. God alone can do these things. So why did He come down to us? Why do we go to church on Christmas Eve? Why do we celebrate Christmas at all? 
Well, it's because He loves us. And that word love gets thrown around a lot. And so when I say that God loves us, please don't hear me say um, love in the way that the Hallmark Channel uses it, right? That warm, fuzzy, cheap sentimentality. And I think I confessed last year that I have been known to watch a Hallmark movie or two, so, you know, I'm not hating on you. I get it. But, but when I say that God loves us, I don't mean it with a sense of cheap sentimentality. You know, Oscar Wilde has a really great, a really great quote on sentimentality. He says this, a sentimentalist is simply one who wants to have the luxury of an emotion without paying for it. We think we can have our emotions for nothing. We cannot. Even the finest and most self-sacrificing emotions have to be paid for. Why did God come down? Because He loves us. Think about the first time that you said, I love you, to your spouse. Maybe you were dating, right? And you said, I love you. Did you know what that word meant at the time? Did you know what it would cost you? Did you know how rich and deep and multifaceted love can be? Did you know the first time you said it? I didn't. I've only been married six years now. I had, no, I had no idea what love was, and I can tell you that I will say the same thing a year from now and a year from then. Love is infinitely deep and multifaceted and infinitely costly, at least for my wife it is. So what I, what I, what I, want, to, what I want to communicate to you is that it would take us an infinite amount of time to understand the depth of love and what it costs us, and we can only look at that in retrospect, but do you know who knew what it would cost, who knew the depths of it, who knew what it would lead to before he even opened the door and took on flesh and descended down to us? God knew. God alone knows the depths of love. Before the incarnation, he alone knew. You know, when the gospel says that, our, that the word became flesh, it isn't just telling us that God became man. It's saying that God became vulnerable for the first time, vulnerable. You don't get much more vulnerable than being born as a baby to a low-income family in the first century Palestine where it's politically unstable, do you? I mean, just yesterday we celebrated the Feast of the Holy Innocents the massacre of those by Herod when he was trying to kill the Christ. That is a vulnerable place to be. And Scripture tells us he was tempted in every way that we are. He suffered as we do and greater, and he died a death that we all hope to avoid. You know, we have a nativity in front of the altar. I think a lot of you can see that, and maybe some of you have nativities in your homes. If you want to add another level of profundity to Christmas and another level of meaning to draw out its full meaning, you almost have to replace the baby Jesus and the Mary in your nativity set with a replica of Michelangelo's Pieta. Do you know, do you know the work I'm talking about where Mary is there and she's cradling her son's body across her lap and in her arms? That's the full meaning of the incarnation. And God alone knew the beginning and the end of it. 
He knew the cost, and he walked through the door anyway. That's the gospel. That's the why we go to church on Christmas Eve, to glorify and commune with and spend time with that God. To even begin to plumb the depths of that kind of love. And now, like children, we have our why. Right? We have our why, and we can begin to use that to make sense of the world around us, to construct building blocks of the reality that God has presented us with. And like children, we too can make decisions about how then we ought to live in the world. Now that you have all of the information, you can begin to construct how you ought to live in the world. Because the gospel, like love, as its greatest example, is infinitely deep but it's also infinitely wide. It's infinitely deep in its profundity, and it's infinitely wide in its application. That story that I just told you, the story of the gospel of the incarnation, is infinitely wide in the way that you can apply it to your life. You will never stop finding opportunities to live out that very specific message. Let me give you some examples to to bring it to earth. Uh, This is from 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, right? This is pointing to the incarnation of God and his, and his passion. He laid down his life for us. That's the is, right? That's the gospel. And the application is, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Infinitely deep and infinitely wide. And now you can spend the rest of your life thinking about all of the areas in which you could be more self-sacrificial to your brothers and sisters, to the people who God has put in your life. Or how about this one? Here's another example. Be kind. This is from Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The purpose of Christ coming to earth, one of the many purposes was to forgive us from our sins. Now think about all of the areas in your life that you're holding on to resentment and bitterness and the people who you have not forgiven. And you could do that for your entire life. Infinitely. Because people, trust me, people will always give you opportunities, right, that you will need to forgive them for. Infinitely deep and infinitely wide in its application. Gospel is boundless. It's boundless. Now, maybe your faith isn't here yet. Maybe your faith isn't here yet. Maybe you're not in a place that you're willing to accept God's Word and the truth of Christ and the gospel. Maybe you don't buy into this reality in the first place. Well, the why questions will help you too. The why questions will help you too. You just have to be willing to ask them. Why are there 2.4 billion Christians in the world when neither Jesus nor his 12 disciples conquered lands or coerced people into conversion and offered no more and no less than the message that I'm preaching today? You look at any, competi- you look at any other religion on the planet and there was conquering and the taking of lands involved in that and there was coercion not with the early spread of Christianity. In fact, Jesus was one of many self-proclaimed messiahs, so why him? Why this message? It's a good question. Here's another question. Why is there more historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than that Julius Caesar ever lived? Let me say that again. There's more historical evidence that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, historical evidence, than that Julius Caesar ever lived. And if you don't believe me, look it up. That's a good question. Here's one more. 
why did Jesus Christ happen to fill more than four dozen prophecies that were written centuries before he was born? When the odds of any one person fulfilling only eight of them are one in a quadrillion, which is the chance of you winning the Powerball three times in a row? That's a really good question. Don't stop asking why. I mean, we can continue to go on about this, but if you ask why and if you're willing to follow the answers, it always leads to God because He is the author and embodiment of all truth, and all truth is His. So I would encourage you, if you've been coming to church your entire life or if you are just starting, continue this pursuit. Don't rest, don't stop, don't quit. Keep asking why until you get to a place of trust in God that you don't have to anymore, but don't quit until you get there. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would create in our hearts a desire to know of you, to know about you, and finally to know you in fullness. God, I pray that you would continue to lead us on in this uh, spiritual pursuit of your truth and your person. Help us to construct the reality that you have presented to us, to live accordingly in it, knowing that we will be satisfied in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.